right? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Did I give the message the right way? And my prayer this week has been that somebody would be baptized because of something I said. All right? So what did God do? God said, well, let me show you something. It's not about what you say. It's about the work that I'm doing. Isn't that right? God's been doing that work, hasn't he? It's not about what the pastor says. It's not about what is said, but it's what's in God's Word. That's where the power is. So let's study God's Word this morning. Turn to John. And actually, we're going to be in John chapter 13. Now, we have been working through the book of John. Aaron's had three, three... This is the fourth. This is the fourth sermon on this on this on this uh, book. So the first sermon was the prologue, where John shows or proves the divinity of Christ. You know, if you ever have if you ever have somebody that has a question for you about Jesus and whether or not Jesus is God, go to John. Go to John the first chapter. So we went through that. Then we went through the Jesus the statements, the I am statements. You know, I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the way, the truth, the life. We went through some of those, didn't we? Well, now, well, even then the next one was the signs. And the sign that that Aaron preached on was the the man born blind and his healing. And one of the things I liked was Aaron Aaron said it exactly right. Jesus was poking, poking the Jews the Jewish leaders. Have you ever stirred up a hornet's nest? You only do it one time, don't you? You you never do that again. But yeah, Jesus was poking them. He knew. He knew what, what buttons to push. And that's what he was doing. He was doing that. But it was a powerful sign that Jesus has complete control over life and everything in this world. You know, that's what the signs prove. You know, the turning water into wine, things like that. So now, let's look at John's purpose. What is John's purpose? We've been saying it for, this is the fourth Sunday we've been saying it. In uh, John chapter 20, that you may believe. Verse 30 and 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, eternal life, eternal life. So, let's talk a little bit about the book of John. Okay, who is the author of the book of John? John, right, John, everybody gets that one right. John the apostle, John one of the twelve, John the disciple Jesus loved. You know, John likes to throw that in there, doesn't he? He likes to let everybody know, hey, Jesus loved me. Nothing wrong with that. You can do the same thing. John, the son of Zebedee. So all of those answers are correct. Now, John writes his gospel later in life. And he writes it, we think, in the city of Ephesus. And it's around AD 81. John wrote the gospel to the Jews in Israel, to the Jews dispersed throughout the world, And he wrote so that they would believe in Jesus and that those that would read the letter later would believe in him also. 
thousands of years we've been reading this letter, haven't we? People have been believing. If you want to lead somebody to Christ, lead them through the book of John. Lead them through the book of John. If you can convince somebody to read that and read it along with you, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will work in all of that. So now, now let's go to John chapter 13 because that's the text that we're going to use today. Let's pray. Father God, Father, thank you for today. Father, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the work that you've worked in in our lives. Thank you for the baptisms this morning. It's not by anything that we have done, but by your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Father, we pray that you will illuminate Scripture to us, that we will learn. And, Father, that we will use these things that we learn not only in our lives, but in the lives to speak into the lives of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Let me set up John chapter 13 for you. It's thir- where we're going to be at is, is John chapter 13, beginning verse 1. It is Thursday. It's 33 A.D. It's the week of Passover. The day before Jesus' death. The day before he dies. It's that evening that we're going to be talking about. Now... Luke tells us that the meal was eaten in a barred guest room. Luke chapter 22, verse 12. You remember the story Jesus tells his disciples to go and meet a man. They'll meet a man that's carrying water. Me and Aaron were talking about this earlier this week. You know, in that culture, the guys didn't carry water. Men didn't carry water. Jesus knew that there was going to be a man carrying a jug of water. He was going to be doing a woman's job. Nothing against the women. They were strong. They were healthy. But he was going to be carrying a jug of water in the town. That was out of the norm for their culture. Remember he said he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. You know, a furnished room, ready. And he told them to make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, there's one other thing that we really need to know. We kind of need to know what's going on with the disciples. Because they're coming into the Passover meal, and there's a problem. And I say, you know, everybody says the first problem in the church was actually an axe. This was really the first problem in the church. You had a group of guys a group of guys that everybody wanted to be in control. Luke talks about it. He records that there's a dispute going on between the disciples during this period of time. Luke 22, 24, and Luke 9, 46 tells us that there's a dispute. Matthew tells us what's going on even more so. You remember, James and John had their mama, their mama, come to Jesus and ask him for one of them to sit on the left-hand side and one of them to sit on the right-hand side when his kingdom came into power. They wanted to be in control. They wanted to be number two and number three. 
and they had their mama come ask. And that dispute started before the Passover, and it's being carried over into the Passover. How do we know that? Let's go to John chapter 13. All right. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus, perfect knowledge, perfect ability. He knew exactly what was going on. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the full extent. He loved them so much and for so long that he couldn't love them anymore. That's the love of Jesus. The evening meal was in progress. Which meal would this be? The Passover meal. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now remember, John is writing this later in life. He's writing this later, so he's adding narrative. He's able to tell us just that little bit more that we didn't get out of the Gospels. He's adding to it. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them, and, and, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, back up one, Megan. I, 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 got, a, I got a little bit off. There. That's the perfect picture, isn't it? That shows you historically, completely, exactly like the Last Supper was, doesn't it? Nah, nah, it's a bad picture anyway. But it was not set up like that, was it? Do you know that they would have been reclined? They would have been reclined, their heads toward a table, a low table. They would have been on cushions. Their feet would have been back behind them. They would have leaned back on their left arm and eaten with their right hand. They would have passed food to one another. They would have shared in a common meal because that's what the Passover was, a common meal. Everyone in the room would have shared in the meal. But you know, in that upper room that night, there was a problem. There was a problem. You know, we already talked about the disciples. They were arguing with each other. They had issues about who was going to be in charge. But there was an even bigger problem. At that very moment, there was a bunch of stinking feet. I mean, honestly, there were a bunch of stinking feet at the table. You see, these men had come into the room, and they didn't follow the etiquette of their culture. They didn't follow the Jewish laws for cleansing. The first thing that they should have done is they entered into the house. They should have removed their sandals and washed their feet. They didn't do it. Now, it's interesting why they didn't do it. Because when you think about the house, okay, they've come into a house where a man carried water into the day before. 
What does that tell you? Something's happened to the female servant or the female slave. She's either died or she's no longer in this household. Or maybe she's sick. So there was no woman, no woman there to wash their feet when they came. So who would have been next if there's no woman in the household to wash their feet? Well, you could have chosen two different ways. The first two guys in the house should have turned around and washed the feet of others as they entered in. Or the youngest of the group should have washed the feet of all the others. But what happened? They came into the room and they looked at each other and they said, I ain't washing no stinking feet. I mean, really. You can just imagine them looking at each other, looking, I mean, the bowl and the water was there. Jesus didn't call for it to be brought into the room. It was there. And they would not use it. They wouldn't even wash their own feet because if the first two washed their own feet, tradition would have had them wash the feet of everyone else. So these guys were perfectly content to go to the Passover feast dirty, smelly, and not follow their own rules. Now, go ahead and, and kick, it, kick it up uh, right there. Yeah, right there. There we go. You know, when we get into John, I look at John and I, and, and I get to a certain point when I read through John, and I encourage you to read the whole book at one time. And the reason why, when you read the whole thing at one setting, it's really not that long if you take a, a time out to do it. But it really comes together much clearer when you read it all in one setting. You know, John tells us about God's love early on, doesn't he? You know, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. You know, John tells us about how much Jesus loved him. You know, he kept writing about the disciple who Jesus loved. And now we get to the feast. And I always kind of have a question when I'm reading. How did Jesus show his love? You know, you get to a certain point in the book of John and you want to know. I, I want to understand how Jesus showed his love. Well, John gives that to us in chapter 13. Now... It's interesting about the words that John uses in chapter 13. The, word, the Greek have three words for love. Three different words. One word is for a friendly love. Brothers, like these three guys up here, sitting here beside each other. Those three guys back there sitting together. You got, you got brotherly love. The guys you hang out with. Brotherly love. Then there's eros, which is, is more of a sexual love. But now agape is an unconditional love. What is unconditional love? When you don't ask for anything in return. When you love somebody unconditionally. You know, if you're the parent of a teenager, you begin to understand what that agape means. Because it gets hard sometimes. <laughs> 
It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, when you got that teenager, you were really, you know, oh God, please, not agape. But that's the word that John uses, agape love, unconditional love. The love where you would do an act of service for somebody and not expect them to do anything back. Agape love. Go ahead, Megan. So what did Jesus do that night? You know, he broke the stereotypes of his day. He really did. You know, for a teacher, a rabbi, to, have get, to get up and wash the feet of his students, that was uncalled up for. I mean, you know, you just would not expect that. You wouldn't expect the host of the meal. He was the host. You wouldn't expect the host to get up and wash their feet. You know, the first, and like I said before, the first choice for the job was a Gentile servant. So obviously, there was no Gentile slave in the house. Something else that Jesus did. He answered the issue by caring for the need. Do we see needs sometimes? Do we see needs? We do, don't we? Sometimes we see needs and we don't meet them, do we? Jesus gave us a lesson. If you see a need, meet it. Meet that person where they're at. Take care of that need. You know, Jesus didn't give them a lecture on coming into the room with dirty feet, did he? He let them come in with dirty feet. He let them sit down with dirty feet. He didn't lecture them about dirty feet, did he? But he lectured them about something else. He taught the spiritual truth that has eternal ramifications. A spiritual truth. You know, when we talk about spiritual truths, the Bible is full of them. If we look at verses 12 through 17, verses 12 through 17, and I'm going, we're just going to bypass Peter and, and everything with Peter in this because we, we want to stick with what Jesus has to say. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He went back to the position of host. Do you understand what I have done for you? Now he's become the teacher again. He's asking them a question. Do you understand what I have done for you? Did he wait for an answer? No. He had, already, he had already known that, that Peter didn't get what was going on. He said, you call me teacher and Lord. Notice that real quick, teacher and Lord. You call me. You, my disciples, call me teacher and Lord. Notice the order. Now that I, well, he says, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher. He reverses it, doesn't he? In the Greek, the reverse means now the Lord is the primary title. Teacher is the secondary title. So now he's challenging them to rethink of how they think of him. He's not their teacher primarily. Now, in the upper room, he's their Lord. 
He says, now that I, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what did Jesus do? What did he do? He settled a dispute that was dividing the disciples, didn't he? He just took that completely out of the equation. We never hear of them arguing with each other who was in charge, do we? Never do. It's settled. We could learn a lesson from that, couldn't we? He set a standard not only for the disciples, but also for us, a standard of servanthood. Servanthood. You know, it's interesting because Jesus calls them servants and messengers. That's the title that he gives his disciples that evening. Servants and messengers. And Jesus attaches a blessing to their humble service. Now let me tell you something about that blessing. This is something that I have learned over the years. You will go out and you will do ministry but God is not going to deliver a new vehicle to your driveway, okay? It's not going to happen. That new forerunner, Bentley, or whatever you want to drive is not coming because you're out washing people's feet. But let me tell you this. This is something that I really want you to understand. It's not a blessing for the act of service. It is not a blessing for the act of service. It is a blessing in the act of service. Arthur's shaking his head. Yes, he got it. It is a blessing in the act of service. I cannot tell you how this works. It's a mystery. But when we serve others, we receive a blessing in that act that no one else will understand. When you serve someone else and you do it with a servant's heart, if you're not pointing to yourself, if you're not pointing to yourself, but pointing to God, there is this powerful blessing that comes to you in that act. And it is amazing. It is amazing. Now, Jesus gave us two things that night. You know, I believe that, I believe that uh, we, we kind of have our symbolism a little bit off. And don't get me wrong, the cross, the cross totally means Jesus. Okay? That's all about his sacrifice. That's all about what Jesus has done. The cross is not our symbol. It's not. That towel... That's a symbol. That's a symbol for us. A towel of servanthood. That's what we should be about. That is what we should be known as. Servants. So Jesus gave us a, the towel as a symbol of Christian service. Jesus also gave us a new command to keep. 
Look at John 13, 34, and 35. Aaron actually read that. Well, you can read it up here. Aaron read it earlier. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do we do that? Do we do that? This isn't, this isn't us loving the world. This is us, the church, loving one another. Us, the church. Think back to that night. Is there somebody in this room that you wouldn't wash their feet? Is there somebody in this room that you wouldn't serve? And I'm asking you to think deeply. Because this is a heart condition. We are to love one another. We are to love one another. Hold up on the, on the slides just for a minute. I want to I tell you something. I've been challenged this past, past few weeks about something. And it, it came, it, it kind of came a few weeks back where I began to think about what the world sees when they look at the church. And some of that has to deal, deal with, with uh, the influence of Islam in the prison. And, and if you don't know me, I minister, I minister in, at Beaumont Correctional Center in several different ways. But there's an, an iman that has started a ministry there that has been, hasn't been going on in a long time. And it's started back up. And it's made me think about what we as Christians look to, when the world looks at us, what do we look like? And it really came... It came a few weeks back because I was really troubled by what I saw on TV. I saw 21 men lined up on a beach, and I know most of you have seen that image. And they, and they were listed as Coptic Christians. So that makes them not Christians for some reason. But you know, the Coptic church, the Coptic church is actually the original Christian church. They are the church. The Coptic church can trace its history back even more so than the Catholic church. So here were these men that were lined up on the beach. Flip the uh, slide, Megan. And it said, the people of the cross, there was this caption, and it said, the people of the cross, followers of the hostile Egyptian church. And these 21 men, they were executed in Libya for being Christians. And I began reading their biographies. I began studying them online. And I began to realize that these men were servants. They had left Egypt and gone to Libya to make money to provide for their families. And one of them wasn't married. He was trying to save up enough money to get married. Two of them were brothers that were trying to provide housing for their extended family. These were people that were working in a hostile environment. 
Do you know these guys were on the way home? They were on the way home. They were leaving Libya when they were taken. But what, it, what troubled me was the people of the cross, followers of the hostile Egyptian church. The Coptic church is passive. They don't go out and kill Muslims in the name of Christ. These are people that follow the teachings of Jesus. Began to look at some of the things, some of the things I thought and were that I was doing in prison. How do we look to the world? We don't want to look like people of the cross. Why do I say that? I challenge you to be people of the town. People of service. People that would serve even someone that thought you were a hostile Christian. I think the church has lost touch with the rest of the world in some ways. Because they don't see us as servants. They don't see us as people of love. You know, one of the things that destroys our testimony is when we don't love one another. Jesus said it. They will know that you are my disciples by the love that you show one another. He said that. That is the power of our testimony. That is the power of of what Jesus has given us. Now, Jesus gave a visual of the gospel message of love that night. We had an even better visual this morning, people being baptized. He gave us a command, a new command I give you, love one another. And he gave us our roles, servants and messengers. Let's talk about, I'm a visual learner. Let's talk about that visual that he gave those disciples that night. You see, Jesus got up from the table and he went to another area of the room. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. You know, Jesus took up the towel that everyone else had discarded would not touch. Jesus became a man. Before that, he had removed his outer robe. What did Jesus remove when he came to earth? The glory of God. He took the glory of God off of himself. He then took up the towel, and then Jesus poured water into a bowl. Jesus poured out his blood on the cross, didn't he? Then Jesus took the bowl and washed their feet. You know, he washed all their feet. Even the one that was going to betray them, betray him. Jesus washes all of us, all people, clean, doesn't he?
the gospel message and washing feet. So what does that mean for us? Let me tell you, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do it right now. Don't do it because I'm telling you to. If you've never been baptized, if you've never been immersed, if you've never had your sins washed away, do it now. Don't wait. Don't wait. We are not guaranteed another day. Now, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, take up a towel. Become a humble servant. Serve others. Make a difference in someone else's life for Christ. Make a difference. Let us pray. Father God, Father, we just pray now that your holy word Your holy word will bless us in a powerful way. And Father, as we, as we, your people, people of service, people of love, people that are messengers, leave this place. Father, we pray that you will bless us in a powerful way. Allow us to do a powerful work through you. And Father, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen. Now, if you need prayer, Arthur and Charlotte are going to be over this way. Everybody needs prayer. I tell the guys at Beaumont, if you don't have somebody praying for you, you're crazy. And I'm going to tell you all the same thing. If you have something that you are troubled about, Arthur and Charlotte will pray with you over here. Aaron's going to come up. If you want to to talk about receiving Christ, if you want to be baptized, if you want your sins washed away, me and Aaron will be up here. Come see us. Let's all stand together.